You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be back with you. Really appreciate uh, the many prayers that so many of you offered for Rebecca and I as we were gone the last two weeks. We traveled to Denver for a couple of weeks of testing and treatment for her lung condition. So about three years ago, she came down with an infection um, deep in two areas of her lung. The infection is called MAC, M-A-C. That stands for a much longer medical term. You can look it up online and and learn a lot more about it. But that's the condition that she has. And the time uh, there in Denver at the hospital was so valuable. And we're very hopeful about the treatment plan that they have put her on. One of the questions that we've been asked is, why Denver? Do we not have any medical help here? Why, why are we going to Denver for treatment for something like this? Well, to be honest, I knew why, and I had that same question uh, even when we were there. One particular morning, uh, it was five degrees outside when I got up to warm the car up. It takes a long time to warm the car up from five degrees. There was about five inches of snow on the car, and once I got the snow off, uh, much to my delight, I discovered there was a layer of ice also under that. So being from Southern California for the better part of three decades, even though originally I was from Canada, I have almost no memory of that time in my life. So being from this area, it had not even occurred to me that I might need gloves. Oh. Just, and to be honest, I got rid of my ski gloves decades ago, and I don't really have gloves. And um, on that morning, I was paying for that oversight. So I was wondering, why are we here? What are we, what are we doing here? I knew. And the answer is pretty straightforward. Denver uh, has what many consider to be the number one respiratory hospital in the nation, maybe the world. It's called National Jewish Health. That's the name of the hospital. And we had, of course, when my wife was diagnosed with this infection, we had started with the local health care providers and had been given the conventional uh, treatment plan. And after... About two years, it was clear that that was not um, getting rid of the infection. So um, about maybe, maybe it's about a year and a half ago now, we started going to one of the top pulmonologists in the nation who is up at Cedar sinai specializes in this. But this past fall, after a number of new treatments that she was still not responding to, he told us that he was pretty much out of treatment ideas. So his recommendation was for us to go to this number one research and treatment hospital in the nation for this particular condition. They really focus on this one. So that's why Denver became our destination in the month of January. Uh, Now here at Seabreeze for the past three weeks, we've been talking about uh, the chosen destination that we've set our sights on as a church for this particular year. And if you've been around the last three weeks, you've You've been aware of this, but these are the two sentences that describe where we would like to go as a church, specifically. And we're inviting everyone who calls this church their home to join us on this destination goal. And here's what we've said. We want to become a church where the gospel, that's the good news of Jesus, moves out from us like a groundswell that brings restoration, changes lives in this community. And this will happen as each of us takes next steps towards sharing the gospel with the goal, our prayer, we want to put something specific on there, is that 100 people, 100 of us, would invite someone to respond to the gospel over the next year. So why do we pick this destination as our big goal? Well, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, is not just of passing interest to us uh, as a church. It 
it would be fair to say it's number one. There's just nothing more important than the gospel. And the reason is not because we voted on all of the other really important things that are going on in the gospel one. No, it's simply because what Jesus did is the only answer to the deep problems, not just the physical problems, but the deep problems that we face every day. So if, like my wife, you have a challenging lung disease, I would highly recommend the number one hospital for those kind of conditions in Denver. But if you're wanting help with the even more desperate problems, the big problems, the deep problems we face, we all face, like our guilt or anxiety or anger or fear about the future or a sense of a lack of a sense of purpose. It turns out that the good news of Jesus Christ isn't just top-rated as, as an answer for this. It is really the only long-term answer to these kinds of deep problems that we all have. So the question then comes, okay, if, if that's true, then why do we personally have to get involved in talking about it? Why, why would we want to take the risk of potentially getting in an awkward conversation and being rejected as we talk about our understanding of how important Jesus is. I mean, why can't people just read about it and decide for themselves? I mean, the information's out there. There's lots of information on the gospel that people can read. Well, the reason that we need to get involved in this is because, as individuals, we almost never make big decisions, and this is a big decision. We almost never make big decisions that affect our lives by just reading about it. It almost always comes through uh, the relationships and the conversations with people that we know. It's kind of like how we ended up finding out about the hospital in Denver. I mean, they have a website. They're, they're not a secret entity. But we heard about this hospital from someone we know and trust. Even before our doctor mentioned it, we'd heard about this place from people that are struggling with this particular infection. We'd heard about this location. And then the doctor recommended it, and then we had already done some research, we did more research, and then we decided. And that's kind of how people come to make a decision about Jesus Christ. They, they may be generally aware of it, but they almost always hear about it from someone who is following Jesus before they decide themselves to follow. Romans 10, 13-15 describes kind of the process that we all go through to come to the point of deciding to follow Jesus. And this is what it says. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, his name is Jesus Christ, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. They'll be changed. They'll be rescued. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. That's what the word gospel means, good news. Now, this lists the sequence of events that take place in a heart of a person who is saved by Jesus. And it works backward from the moment when someone is saved, when someone decides to follow Jesus Christ and their future is changed. They are forgiven. The emptiness, the destruction that sin causes in a life begins to be reversed. That's the moment of salvation. They are saved. And this works backward from that moment. So in order for someone to be saved, what happens? Well, they need to call on the name of Jesus and ask him to save them. 
They need to call on the name of the Lord. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, his name is Jesus Christ, they will be saved. But it's not saying you just say those words. You just say Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden, you're saved. This is not magic. This is not an incantation. You say these words, and all of a sudden, your life has changed. Now, there's something that precedes saying and asking Jesus to save you, and that is belief. It's our belief in Jesus that saves us. Well, how can they, it says, call on him to save them unless they believe in him? People aren't going to ask Jesus to save them if they don't really believe that he can. So belief occurs when we investigate the facts about Jesus and not only decide that they are true, but that they can be trusted, trusted enough to make life decisions and build our life based on what Jesus said. But then it goes on, how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? You're not going to come to believe in Jesus if you've not heard at least the basics about what he said and what he did. And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? If no one opens their mouth and describes what it means to follow Jesus and why they've decided to follow Jesus, then they're not going to know enough to make that decision. Even in a modern age, the age of the Internet and digital publishing, when there's all kinds of content out there about Jesus Christ, it still almost never happens that someone decides to follow Jesus Christ without someone telling them about him. And how is someone going to tell someone about the gospel? Well, it's only going to happen because they have feet. They are moving towards people. The feet of ordinary people like you and me are going to take them into the presence of people who don't know the good news so that we can tell them. Now, why would we do that? Why would we take the risk? And let's be honest, it is a risk to bring this conversation, this topic up. Why would we take that risk? It's because we've been sent by Jesus himself to tell people the good news. And it's not just a few of us outgoing, brave souls that have been sent. It's all of us, even introverts like me who would prefer, prefer to be just left by myself <laughs> most times. All of us have been sent. So our primary focus this year is on the, the feet part of this sequence. That's what we're going to focus on, the feet part, the, the movement towards people. That's why our goal, as I just read it, is that we, we are inviting everyone to take steps. That's feet language. Take steps toward sharing the gospel. Not every one of us will do that. We know that. But I think everyone that is a part of this church can take some steps. And who knows what might happen. It's kind of like our long road trip to Denver. You know, for two days, we were not there yet. We were in route, but we were not there. We were making progress, and it was critical that we make progress. Sometimes we were doing 85 miles an hour, occasionally a little more than that. <laughs> Sometimes, because of icy conditions, we were doing five miles an hour. And at one point, we sat there for a few hours because the freeway had been closed down due to an accident because of the icy conditions. But 
the car was pointed towards Denver, and every chance we had, we were moving. We were making progress. And if we hadn't kept moving, we would not have arrived in time for our first appointment. And that's kind of what we're talking about with this destination goal we have. En route to our big goal for this year, we're asking everyone to be willing to take some steps and figure out what that looks like for them. So I want to give all of us three markers of progress, kind of mile markers of progress towards this goal. Three ways to get our feet moving towards the people that God places around us. The first step is to pray for them. You know, before we talk to people about God, it's always best to talk to God about people. That's, it's a, it's a, the place we start. And the reason is because we can't do this on our own and in our strength. We need God's help to know what to say and when to say it and just have the courage to say something. And they need God's help to believe, to understand. And when we pray for someone, what changes is not just inviting God's power to go to work in that situation. That's the big thing that happens in prayers. We're asking God for, for help. But it also has the effect of changing our perspective on that person. If you pray about a situation, it begins to change your perspective on the situation. If you pray about a person, it begins to elevate your perspective and change your perspective on that person. See, with, without prayer, it's, it's just us and them. It's how we view them and how they view us and what we're saying to them and what they're saying to us. And we form an opinion of them and they form an opinion of us. But when we pray to God about them, now we've got a different angle on them, a different perspective. Now we at least have the chance, if we keep praying about them, to see them from the viewpoint of heaven, to see what God sees, not just what the human eye can see. If we don't see what God sees when we encounter the people in our day, we're never going to speak up. We're never going to share the good news. Because from our perspective, nobody seems interested. Nobody seems to care. Everyone seems busy. And we're just all moving about our business. But there's much more that's going on than that. And so we pray so that we can begin to see more than just what we can see with our eyes. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 17 describes this this way. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. That's that just horizontal us and them. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. What's this talking about? Well, the Apostle Paul, first century Christian and starter of many of the churches in the New Testament, wrote this. And he's describing his own experience. At first, he thought of Jesus as just another Messiah fraud, just another person claiming to be the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. That was kind of the worldly perspective. Uh, he's, he's just another fraudster. But then he met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. And that changed how he viewed Christ. But that didn't just change how he viewed Christ. It also changed how he viewed people. 
He no longer saw people the same way he used to see them. Why? Well, you see, if Jesus really is God in flesh, as he claimed to be, and if he really did come to earth to save us, you know what that means to about everyone that we see? There's much more going on than we can see. If God did all of this to save us and to save them, then we and they are far more valuable than they might appear to be. And there's far more hope for them, just like there is for us, than the current situation might indicate. Our tendency is to kind of see people, evaluate them, size them up, put them in a category, leave them there. That's kind of the horizontal worldly view. But when you look at a person from the perspective of heaven, there's much more than, than that. There's much more hope than that. It goes on to say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. What this is saying is when we look at someone from a worldly point of view, what we tend to do is we imagine what they're going to be like in the future based on what they have been like in the past and what they are like now. And we have reason to think that way. I mean, if they have a history of addiction, they're probably going to struggle with addiction for their entire life. They'll probably be addicted. If they have a history of deception or laziness, we just assume that that's probably, that's just who they are. They're going to be that way. And we're not just being mean to think this. The data actually supports these conclusions. I mean, talk to anyone who is a professional in the area of human behavior, and they will tell you that the best indicator of future human behavior is past human behavior. That's almost always the way it goes. That's why it's naive to hire someone thinking that even though they've been a disaster on their resume, they will suddenly change in this new employment situation. That almost never happens. And it's foolish to marry someone thinking that I know, I know, but I can change them. That's a very hard life, because that almost never works out. But what is being said here is there is one big exception to this well-known past history rule. The past history rule is they're probably going to be just like they are in the future. There's one big exception, one big if. What it says here is if anyone is in Christ, well, now we have a new ballgame. We have... Not just an augmentation, not just an add-on feature. It's as if a whole new world has been created. A whole new person has been created. A new factor now is introduced into their life. It's the power of God to transform a life. Now, it's not, again, like magic power, where without any effort, a new person suddenly emerges in just a few days. No, it takes time, and there are still setbacks. But in this room, there are many people who are very different in many areas from the way they used to be. And they put work into it, yes, but they would tell you the first reason is because Jesus Christ has changed me. So everyone we see, and this is so important to God, everyone that we see is one decision away from becoming something completely different, from new. It's just we can't see that. And we see people, we evaluate people, we come to conclusions on people, and we leave them in their boxes. That is not the viewpoint of God. That's why we pray, because when we pray, 
we close our eyes so we're not distracted by what we see so that we might have a chance of seeing what God sees in this person, what might be in this person, and we pray for that. So let's get specific on this before I move on to the second step. I invite you to pray for five people by name. We've done this in the past, and I encourage you to consider doing this again. Over the next five weeks, you're welcome to continue beyond five weeks, but over the next five weeks, let's pray for five people for at least five minutes a day. Now, if you want to be a part of this, let us know. You can write, pray for five, if you're doing the physical connection card under the notes or comments, prayer requests, just put in that blank area, pray for five. And we'll send you a link with some tips on how to do this. Uh, if you're using the app, there's a, there's a button right on the top part of the app. Just click on that, go through those steps, let us know that you want to pray for five people. Now, we have, as you exit, there are cards on the tables that you can use if you want, if that would be helpful. Just to have five blanks. You can write for your own purpose the, the names of the five people that you're praying for to remember to do that. Now, let me give you a suggestion on this before we move on. I would encourage you to take at least a week to decide who you're going to pray for. Don't just write down five names right now. And the reason, it's just a suggestion. You can do what you want. This is a suggestion is I would encourage you to wake up Monday morning and have this be your primary goal that day, and that is, God, could you show me who you want me to pray for today? And write one name down before you go to bed on Monday. And they do the same thing on Tuesday. And if you forget on Wednesday, then do it Thursday. But take the week to go through the routines that you have and have your eyes open and be asking God, who do you want me to pray for? These are individuals, as far as you can tell, they have not accepted the gospel. And work through the week and then begin to pray for those five people by name. The second step is to love them. First is to pray for them. Second is to love them. Take a genuine interest in the people around you. See if there's a way you can be of help. Maybe it's just a word of encouragement. I have a question. How many of you know how many steps you're going to walk on average each day? I mean, just kind of a sense. This, this is about how many thousand steps you walk. How many of you know? Kind of, you could just give me a ballpark. I'm not saying you're, you nail it, but how many of you know? Okay, a number of you. If I'd asked this question 10 years ago, what do you mean, how many steps? Who counts their steps? Who does that? Well, a lot of us do. And before the advent of these slaves, I mean smartwatches, we had no idea how many steps we were walking. But now I know. Yeah, I'm about 7,000. I know I'm supposed to be 10,000, but about 7,000. But you know, long before the technology that allowed us to count our steps, God himself was counting our steps. He didn't need a smartwatch. He's God, so he knows. But God was counting our steps not for the purpose of tracking our fitness, but for the purpose of directing us toward people. He was counting, and not just counting, directing our steps. This is a fascinating couple of verses that have really changed me in how I view just the routines of my day. Here's what it says in Acts 17, 26 through 27. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined 
That's the word. He determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. What this is saying is God isn't just observing our steps. He is determining. He's directing our steps for a purpose. Now, if it was up to us, our steps would occur, for the most part, inside what we refer to as our comfort zone. You know, inside our comfort zone are the people that we know. Outside are the people that we don't know. Inside are the people that we agree with. Outside are the people we don't agree with. Because if there's people we disagree with, it's not a comfort zone. It's a discomfort zone. Inside, things are pretty predictable. Outside, you never know what's going to happen. It's pretty unpredictable. So why would we ever leave our comfort zone? Well, the answer is we all leave our comfort zone because we have to. We have to go to the grocery store to get food. We all have to get a job to earn money, and you can't say, you know what, I only want to work with people that I really like and agree with. You, know, you can start your own business, and even then you can't hire people that you like and agree with all the time. And then we have to live in the neighborhoods, you know. We, we don't live in some of those places I saw on the way to Denver where you get seven acres. No, your neighbor's right there. And they're right there, right there, right there. They're everywhere. And it's in these places where our steps are walking that we encounter people that we don't know and may not necessarily agree with us. These steps that we travel and that they travel are not random. That's what this verse is saying. Now, we have a reason behind our steps, going to the grocery store, going to work, and they have a reason behind their steps. But beyond that, God has a reason why our paths have crossed. It says he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. God takes our free choices, weaves them into the exact when and where of our days. If you want me to explain how he does that, I have no idea. That is way beyond my brain. That's what, he, that's what it says he does. The thing I'm most interested in is why does he do that? It says here, so that people would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. The whole point of all of this footstep tracking is so that he might put us in contact with people who don't know about him. How do they not know about him? He's not far from anywhere. He's, he's not at a distance. The reason people don't know is he's invisible. He's right there, but he's invisible. So how does God show up in a life? By sending you and me to be his personal representatives. Now, we cross a lot of paths, so we don't know how many paths that we need to say something, but if we're thinking and praying and looking for opportunities, God will give us insight in this. But it's important for us to, to view our steps, not just for fitness, not just for task accomplishment, but so that we might help people find God. On the first day, uh, we were at the hospital in Denver. We were paired with a couple that was fighting the same disease. And by paired, I mean it wasn't anything official. We just had the first day, the same moment, and we're going from one part of the hospital to the next part of the hospital to do some of their first day tests for this condition. Now, the other woman was in much worse condition than my wife. Thankfully, my, we've been able to catch this pretty early on in the infection, but she was 
She was in a wheelchair. She was about 10 years younger, but she was in bad shape. She was in a wheelchair, on oxygen. You can tell she's just struggling to breathe. And so when the women would leave for their tests, he and I were sitting there in the waiting room. Now, being guys, we didn't talk. <laughs> I mean, why, why you talk? Well, I don't understand, you know. So he was working on his phone. I was doing stuff on my phone. And then I remembered the, the truth behind this verse, and I thought, you know what? We're not, I'm not sitting here, and he's not sitting here in this room by accident. He'd, he'd driven from Oklahoma, I'd driven from Denver, and, and by only God's power did we end up the same place at the same time. So I lifted up my head and just started talking. And it felt so weird. <laughs> I found out his name. His name is Steve. And um, just started asking, you know, kind of their journey. I mean, you're sitting there. We both have the same condition. We both have a story. So he just started telling me the story. And, oh, man, they have been through it. I mean, just the trip to get from Tulsa, Oklahoma to Denver was quite an ordeal. They ran out of oxygen at one point, about 9 o'clock at night. I mean, it was finally found a friend, at a, well, not a friend, but someone who's willing to help at this emergency room. They could get them a couple bottles of oxygen to get them to Denver. So at one point, I just, I just looked up and I said, I'm so sorry you guys are going through this. And to my surprise, I started tearing up. Now, you know, 10 minutes before then, I didn't even want to talk to this guy. Now my heart was breaking for this guy. And that was a surprise to me. You know, maybe it's because, you know, we're fighting the same disease that draws your hearts together. But I think it was also because I've been asking God to help me see people that he brings into my path, see them first, and then care about them, love them. So I told Steve I'd, I'd be praying for them. He thanked me, and then the women returned from their tests, and we parted ways. Rebecca and I prayed for them, and we kind of assumed that, oh, so this is how we do it. We kind of work through with other people in the same process, but we never saw them again. I don't know why. We really wanted to ask, you know, but with all the privacy stuff, we're like, probably shouldn't ask, so we didn't, and we don't know why. I don't know why our paths crossed only once, but I do know that in that moment, God helped me lift up my head and love them. I was not able to share the gospel with them. I was able to identify that I'm a follower of Christ and to offer to pray for them. But that's, that's all that I was able to do. But I did love them. Step number three, invite them to respond to the gospel. Now, let's be honest. This is the big step. This is the most challenging step. So we're going to take some time this year to help us all learn how to do this. Now, we're focusing at the beginning of the year on this, and we'll move on to 
other topics as we go forward. But next week, I'm going to start a three-part message series just entitled The Gospel. Because if we're going to share the gospel, we need to be really clear on, so what is the good news? And there's three parts, three ingredients. We're going to talk about those starting next Sunday. But today, I want to start with, oh, let's call it step 3.1. Kind of an initial way that you might begin to talk about the good news. 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never had a single person walk up to me and say, you know, there's a glow about you. <laughs> and it just says hope. And I was curious. What, could you give me an answer for the hope that you have? That's never happened to me. And I've never heard it happen to anybody. So what this is talking about is some conversation. It, it assumes that there's been some conversation that's going on. And it's gotten to a point where this person says, and they're curious at least, they want to know, so how do you handle this with hope? The question is, how do you get into a conversation about a deeper topic like hope? Well, most likely, you're going to have to take the initiative, I'm going to have to take the initiative to bring that kind of conversation up. The big challenge is how? Well, this fall, I ran across a, a preparation tool, uh, a way to broach the subject very simply and easily. And I want to share this with you. It's called the 15-second testimony. The 15-second testimony. So it's basically, what's the word testimony means, you, you testify. that This is what I saw. This is what happened in my life. This is how Jesus changed my life. So it's a 15-second statement about how the gospel's changed you. So here's my 15-second testimony. We'll go ahead and put it up on the screen behind you. There was a time in my life when I'd lost all hope about my future. And this is all true. But then I was forgiven by Jesus, chose to follow him, and now I have a reason to look to the future with hope. Do you have a story like that? I mean, it's 11 seconds, 12 seconds. And if you share something like this, and if they're interested, if they're seeking, the conversation that follows will be amazing. It'll be clear. Now, to be honest, if they're not interested, that'll also be clear. Okay. And then you stop. You don't go on. You don't say anything else. Now you know. Now, this 15-second testimony didn't just pop into my head one day. I had to do what this verse is talking about. I had to prepare to get ready to prepare to give an answer so that I could share it. So I encourage you to consider preparing your own 15-second testimony and asking God for a chance to share it. So let me kind of walk through the format of how you can do that. Again, this is just a tool, just to help you. It starts out with the statement, there was a time in my life when. This is the before you decide to follow Jesus Christ. There's a time in my life when. 
What one or two words would you say next to describe your life before Jesus? It can be one, it can be two. For me, I just chose the hope word because that really describes what was true of me. There was a time in my life when, man, I was just a hothead. I just would lose control of my temper again and again. I didn't want to do that. Or I was addicted. Or I was just, you know, I was just a selfish jerk. But then I was forgiven by Jesus and chose to follow him. And now, so what's, what's changed? What's happened? How are you different in one or two words? Obviously, it's not going to be, and now, I'm just straight up amazing. <laughs> you know, that, that's not, this is not true. Don't lie. This is your story. So how are you different in one or two words? You know, but now, I mean, I, I still battle with anger sometimes, but, boy, nothing like before. Or I'm just much more calm than I used to be. Or, you know, I, I actually like serving and helping people. Or I'm, I'm free. I still have to deal with the addiction, but I'm, I'm free from what I was then. How did the gospel change you? And then end with this statement, do you have a story like that? Now, those of us on staff have been working on this tool and using this tool this fall, and we will tell you this is the hardest line to say. Do you have a story like that? The reason is because it invites a response. But this is not a presentation. You're not suddenly standing up and saying, Bleh! and then they're going, oh. Now, this keeps the conversation going. It's designed to be a conversation starter. So ask this question. Now, if you get your 15-second testimony prepared, and you're praying, and you're looking for ways to love people, I'm reluctant to make a promise, but I'll, I'll say most likely, from my experience, from those of us on staff, as we've worked on this, God will give you amazing opportunities. One of the reasons we have no opportunities is we're not prepared. God knows if he brought an opportunity, we'd be, uh, there it goes. I should have said something. But if you prepare, God will give you a chance to share it. This fall, I was talking with someone that I've known for 15 years. And he knows I'm a Christian. He knows what I do. I know he's not a Christian. We have a good friendship. We have a good relationship. But I just, in terms of ever talking about spiritual matters, I just didn't have any idea other than what I've already shared with him. I didn't know what else to say. So we were talking at one point this fall, and I forget what the current COVID news was, but as it is, it was bad. And so we were talking about how consuming, you know, this pandemic is and how divisive it is. And he just admitted, he said, you know what? Sometimes I just, it just consumes me. I just, I get so angry or I get so worried. I just, I can't function. He was sharing something honest about himself. And it occurred to me in that moment that I have a 15-second testimony about this topic. Now, here's how useful this tool can be. I didn't share what I put up here earlier because he already knows I'm a Christian. So if I say, and there was a time in my life when I decided, 
It's like, I know that. You've told me that. So I used the before and after format, and I shared a 15-second version testimony that was from the previous week. And here's what I said. I said, you know, last week, there was, there was one night in particular I just couldn't sleep either because I was worried about something related to this whole mess. And then I remembered a verse in the Bible that talks about when I'm worried, I, I, I just need to ask him for help and pray, pray to him about it. So I, I took a moment and I did that, and I was able to get some sleep. How do you deal with worry? So it's not the original 15-second testimony, but it's a, here's how the gospel has helped me last week. And then, how do you do? What do you do? And I was genuine, and we talked about what he does, and I talked about what I do further. This led to a great conversation about his spiritual journey. He basically told me for the first time in 15 years why he decided to be an atheist. We'd never gotten to that in 15 years. And now we've got a lot to talk about. But if I hadn't take the, taken the risk of sharing my 15-second testimony, that conversation would have never happened. So, as it says in that verse we read earlier, how beautiful are the feet. It's not talking about manicured feet here. It's just talking about how beautiful it is <laughs> when people move towards other people with the good news. So let's move toward the people God puts in our path this year. Look for five that you can pray for. And then I would encourage you to get that 15-second testimony ready so that God might give you an opportunity. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the people whose feet brought them to our paths, who talked to us, shared their story with us, shared truth with us about the gospel, and were a part of our own decision that changed our lives. And particularly in this environment we find ourselves in, there is just a, there's not an awareness of, but there's a hunger for everything the gospel promises. And there's a growing desperation and a evidence that what the world offers just is empty. So I pray this year that you, as we, you bring us across the paths of people, some that we've known for decades maybe, others that we're seeing for the first time, God, I pray you'd give us eyes that see what you see and courage to share what you've done in our life, to see where it might go. Help us, we pray. We ask this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church podcast.